Before we preach this morning on the title, The Power of His Resurrection, I would like to take just a few minutes to express on behalf of the pastors in the session of this church our gratitude and expression of thanks for the many, many numbers of people who have worked so hard to bring these services of worship to you during this Holy Week. To our office force, to the janitors, to the ushers and parking lot attendants, many of whom have been in the parking lot since 8 o'clock this morning, and especially to this great choir, their leader and our organist. I don't know whether you people realize it or not, but this is the fifth service that they have been with us in four days. Many of them have been here since before 8 o'clock this morning. I'm sure that we've been thrilled with the great ministry that they bring to us through song. And at the conclusion of this service, you'll stand and we will listen as they sing the great and mighty Hallelujah Chorus. But to all of you people, to all of the congregation, it's a great time and we're very thankful for these fellow ministers who help us in these great moments of triumph which we know as Christians. Our text is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter. I'm going to begin to read at the eighth verse. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as refuge, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that if possible... I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There are always two services of worship that even the poorest preacher can expect great congregations. The Christmas service and the Easter service. And even though this Easter time looks like Christmas time, this is the day when more Christians worship than any other day in the year. Upon these two holidays hang the meaning of our Christian faith. For Christmas, you know, is the time when we celebrate the birth of our Christ. And Easter is the day when we celebrate his rebirth, or as we know it, his resurrection. When we come to Christmas, we come with the silent songs like, Silent night, holy night, O little town of Bethlehem. But when we come to Easter, we come with joyous shouts. Hallelujah! Christ is risen. There are many people, you know, though, who feel that they cannot believe in the resurrection. And the reason they give is because the New Testament, especially the Gospels, give conflicting and, yes, even contradictory statements concerning what actually happened on that first Easter morn. Now, granted, it is very difficult, nay, perhaps impossible, to harmonize 
the Gospels as to what actually took place on that first dawn of that first day of a new generation. But let that not stand in your way, because you see these individuals who recorded the history of those particular days, they were not interested in so much explaining the resurrection as they were in explaining what the resurrection had done to them. Because these were people who before that first Easter were simple folk, fishermen and farmers and, and merchants and housewives. But after that first resurrection morn, they were different people. They were, as Paul later states, those people who had a new power. They were able to do all things through the resurrected Christ who strengtheneth them. Because of his resurrection, they had a power, a power that they had never had before. They had a power because of his resurrection to be able to have dominion and power majesty and might over the most dreadful enemy any man can have, death. Remember this if you forget everything else, that Easter is not born in a glorious church sanctuary like we are worshiping in today. Easter was not born even in a fine Christian home. Easter was born in the cemetery. It was in the cemetery where the Lord Jesus Christ, in his resurrected form, made his first appearance unto people. You remember on Friday afternoon Christ was crucified on Golgotha Hill. He was taken down, we think, about three o'clock in the afternoon and placed in the borrowed tomb of Jer Joseph of Arimathea. Because, you see, the Jew has a day of Sabbath which is Saturday, and he's not allowed to work, and he's not allowed to go to the cemetery on that particular day. So they put him in the tomb temporarily, until they rested on the Sabbath, and then they would go on the third day to anoint his body and to prepare him for burial. And then we have the record according to the Synoptic Gospels that very early on the Sunday morning, Mary and some of the others got up very early because they could not sleep for their sorrow. And they went to the grave to anoint the body of the Christ. Look how they went. They took with them embalming fluid to prepare that decaying body of their Lord. They went expecting only to shed tears and grief over a loving friend who had passed on. They were going to say goodbye to a Christ who they thought they would never see again. And then they went into the garden, they went to the tomb, and there they saw something that they did not expect to see. They saw the stone had been rolled away. They saw that the tomb was empty and that Jesus Christ was not there. And even though messengers of the Lord told them, he is not here, he is risen, they did not believe him. And, and you get the story of, of Peter and James and John and some of the other disciples, including Mary Magdalene, running around the cemetery. Where is he? Where have you taken our Lord? Where have you laid him? They thought that somebody had stolen his body. And if you think the crucifixion was a mystery to them, believe me, the empty tomb was even more of a mystery. Finally, then, Christ came. And according to John's Gospel, he came first to Mary Magdalene. And he came to her in the cemetery. And he called her by name. And he appeared not only in the cemetery, but he appeared 
along the roadside to others. He, he walked and he talked with others of his disciples. We, we think at least five times he made appearances on that first Easter day alone. And we know, according to the record, that he made at least 11 appearances in his resurrected form to disciples here, there, and abroad, to groups everywhere from an individual to small groups to large crowds. And he appeared, and he did all of this for one reason, to be a visible testimony that no grave was deep enough, no stone big enough, no band heavy enough, no debt deadly enough to keep him bound in the bowels of death. He did this, you see, for the sake of his disciples. He showed himself in many and various ways during those forty days before the ascension. And as he was showing himself, he was reminding probably his disciples of words that he had spoken to them on previous occasion, words like this, Because I live, you shall live also. Because I am resurrected, you too someday shall be resurrected from the dead. Whosoever believeth in me, though living or dead, shall have life, and that life shall be forever and ever and ever and never have an ending. He was trying to show these people that they had a power in his resurrection to overcome the grave. And whoever would believe that, they cut the message of Easter. And this is what they found, because in the presence of death they were able to accept the testimony of his presence, accept his words of assurance. And for the first time in their life, and the first time in all of history, Man had a power to look death right in the eye and say unto it, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He became the victor over the grave, and because he did it, it is ours as well. And that's the power that he gave to his disciples through his resurrection. And he gave to them another type of a power. He gave them a power which was able to overcome and overpower another enemy, the enemy called disappointment. You'll remember there were two men who had come from Emmaus, which is a town just west of Jerusalem, about seven miles. These men probably had come to Jerusalem during the week of holiness to hear and to see Jesus. They probably heard him speak. Perhaps they were even there the night in which he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe they were there on Friday morning in Pontius Pilate's courtyard receiving that unfair trial. They saw him receive it. Maybe they were there at Golgotha Hill on the afternoon of Friday to see Christ die. Maybe these were some of those secret disciples that had helped lift Jesus' body from the cross and placed it in the borrowed tomb. Maybe, we don't know. But this we do know. That on Easter afternoon, they went home to Emmaus, discouraged, disgruntled, defeated, disappointed. Because they had come to see the one who had redeemed Israel. They had come to see the Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And all they saw was a man die upon a cross like a common criminal. Their hopes had been blasted, their dreams shattered. They walked home thus through the road to Emmaus, each step being taken with greater disappointment. And it was then that the resurrected Lord made his appearance unto them. He, they did not recognize him at first. Why, we're not exactly sure. He said, why are you so discouraged? They told him. Why are you so disappointed? They told him. He tried to tell them by the use of the scriptures, opening God's word, the bread of life. He tried to show them why it was necessary that what happened on Golgotha Hill in the crucifixion had to happen. Beginning with Moses and going through all of the prophets, he tried to show why it was necessary that Christ was delivered into the hands of his enemies, of why it was he had to be crucified so that he could enter into his glory. But they still didn't understand. He was trying to show them, you see, the message which comes from the Bible that God works in mysterious ways, but his wonders always to perform. God is always working for the good in all things, even crucifixion, for those who love him and are called by him. The story that comes out of Genesis, in the life of Joseph, where it said, though men had plans for evil, God took those plans and made them for good. This is what he was trying to show them, that God resurrects plans that we think are shattered. God resurrects our disappointments and takes what we think is a tragedy and shows us later in life a plan of triumph. These men, they, they, they couldn't see it until they invited Christ to come into their home. The trip was very long. They had talked the three or four hours that it took to walk the seven miles. It was growing late in the day, and they said to Christ, Come in and stay with us. And he went in, and he talked with them more. And then it was, why we're not exactly sure, but then it was as he broke bread with them. He who had come to be a guest now was their host. And as he broke bread, suddenly the scriptures began to gel in the hearts and the minds of these two men. And they recognized that this was the Christ. For the first time, though he had been in their midst for hours, he, they saw that this was the one who was resurrected. And they said unto him many, many things, and he told them anew from the scriptures what it was that had to happen. And they said, Did not our hearts burn within us as he walked with us upon the road, as he talked with us, as he opened up the scriptures, this man who got broke not only bread, but also broke to them the bread of life, which is the Bible. For men shall not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And they were able to see that in the moment that they thought only disappointment should be observed, that God was working. And those men left that house. They went back on the road of Emmaus, this time not towards their home, but to Jerusalem. This time not walking with discouragement, but running with joy. And they went back to Jerusalem and told the same message that some of the others had told in the morning. We have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. And they had a power to meet their disappointments and their discouragement because they had invited the Lord to open up his word and show them how God works for the good 
even when we doubt it the most. And then it was in Jerusalem, in that same upper room where Jesus had supper with his disciples on Thursday night, that Jesus came and gave his disciples power over fear. If you read your Bibles, you will notice in the last 40 days of Jesus' earthly life, these were days that were filled with terror and full of fear for the disciples. These were days when Jesus turned to face to go to Jerusalem, that his disciples did not want him to go, and they argued with him to stay, because they were fearful of, of what would happen to his life and to their own. Read about what happened during that week in Jerusalem, the week we call Holy Week, and you'll get the feeling that these disciples acted and were anxious as though they were sitting upon a keg of dynamite. What happened Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane when the police guard came from the temple to arrest Jesus? These men fled out of fear. On Friday morning at the court trial, these individuals, some of them perhaps, were standing around the circumference of a circle, but they didn't want to get too close for fear that they would be recognized. And the afternoon when Christ was crucified, all of them had forsaken him out of fear, save one, John. On Saturday, I imagine these great men of God were hiding under their beds in their rooms in their houses of Jerusalem out of fear. And then on Sunday morning come these rumors that Jesus Christ is alive and well. And these same men become only the more frightened. And that night they hold a secret meeting in that same upper room in Jerusalem, behind the locked doors of fear. And Jesus came and he stood in their midst. And he said unto them, this resurrected Lord, four words. Four words. Peace be with you. He had to say it again. Peace be with you. You see, he had talked much about peace before. These disciples needed to be reminded what he said before. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. And above all, never let them be afraid. They had to hear this word again. They had to hear it a second time. They had to know that because Christ was resurrected, they could not anymore live by the codes of fear, but they must live by faith. And you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that when God blessed them with the Holy Spirit and told them to go out into the world, these men who prior to Easter were frightened, timid, yellow-spined, and stomachless. They went out into the world. They turned the world upside down, making it right side up. And you can read any of the following pages in the Bible, and nowhere will you find the word fear ever associated with any one of their lives again. They faced famine, they faced persecution, sword, nakedness, peril, death. But in every situation, they were more than conquerors through him who strengthened them. They had the power over their fears. 
because of his resurrection. Ladies and gentlemen, the world today is filled with Christians. But Christians who perhaps do not believe in the power of his resurrection. Though Christ has been resurrected in the flesh, in history, he has not been resurrected in many of our hearts. Though Christ is alive in the world today, he's not alive in our faith. Though Christ tells us we have power because of his resurrection, we don't have it. And the reason we don't have it is because oftentimes in the presence of the grave, all we do is concentrate on death instead of upon the words of his resurrection, the words which he gave us in the testimony of his own body. Many times, you see, when we come from, when we are confronted with a disappointed plan, when we think things are not working out for the church and for our nation and for our lives as we think they should, we concentrate too much upon our mistakes and upon our problems and upon our disappointments. And we concentrate not enough upon the resurrected plan of Christ. God's power which we have, which we know is able to work in all things, his wonders to perform. We don't have this power because many times when we are confronted with obstacles, we become frightened and afraid. We're afraid of a mate. We're afraid of a friend. We're afraid of an employer or an employee. We are afraid of the state. We are afraid of this idea. We are afraid of that person, this change. We are afraid of everything. We concentrate too much and too much upon our fears and not enough upon our faith. And consequently, we do not have that power to be the men and the women in the world today that God is expecting to turn this world right side up. Well, how do you get this power? You get it by believing in his resurrection, and you get it the same way those first century disciples got it. In the face of death, you renew those assurances which you have of Christ concerning the grave. And when you leave the cemetery, you know that you do not leave your loved one behind, but someday there shall be a reunion. And that which the world would like to think has ended on that hillside, it is not. That is only an interruption of something that shall never end. You bring back with you just not cherished memories of a loved one. You bring back with you the assurance that someday, somewhere, we who are in Christ will be reunited in that fellowship that shall never be broken again, where there will only be peace and happiness in our heavenly home, which Christ has gone to prepare for us. When you find disappointment coming in all around you, you don't concentrate only upon your disillusionment and discouragement and act defeated. You remember that Christ can work through all people and in all things to bring forth his will. 
and you accept the testimonies, the teachings of Scripture, and you search the Word and allow God's Holy Spirit to convict you of its truth, and you know that you stand on the very Word of God. And when these opposing forces and this opposition comes before us, and we would like to run for the hills. We'd like to turn. We'd like somebody else to make the decisions and somebody else to do the fighting. We don't quit. We remember that through Christ we have the strength to do all things. That Christ has given us not only the message but the power and the commission to overcome the world. And because he has overcome it, we shall overcome it too. And we go out into the battles of this life fighting not against flesh and blood but against principalities, knowing that because he had it, we had it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. An individual who does not believe you see in the resurrection, though Christ has been resurrected, is an individual who is not alive. But an individual who does believe in the power of his resurrection is an individual who is alive in the world and of his end. There shall never be an end, for we shall reign with him forever and ever and ever. Amen.